Hello, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Haley Lancaster, and I'm on the platform team at Samsung Next. Over the next several weeks, we'll be sharing interviews recorded at this year's Web Summit Conference in Lisbon, where some of the world's leading figures in business and technology gathered in early November. Each week, we'll be highlighting conversations with people behind today's most groundbreaking innovations. Up next, you'll hear from Joome Grasa, founder of Unbabel, a company that provides AI-enabled translation services for businesses around the world. He'll speak with Fernanda Baker of Samsung Next about why language translation is a difficult technical process, how Unbabel uses AI to tackle it, and how technology can make us more connected. Welcome to What's Next, Joome. Thank you. So why don't you start by telling us about Unbabble and what it does? So Unbabble is fundamentally solved the problem that people speak different languages. And uh, we start focusing on translation. So what we do is we combine machine learning uh, with the crowd of humans spread around the world to provide uh, quality translation that scale. So you can think about it like a Google Translate with professional quality. Uh, and in the beginning, we focus on customer service. Uh, so mostly like chat, emails, FAQs, and we allow companies to talk with their customers in different languages without having to hire people that speak those languages. What is your background and what made you want to solve the language problem? Yeah. So I did my PhD on uh, machine learning for natural language processing with a strong focus on machine translation. Um, and this is always an area that I've been uh, very passionate about. Uh, and I remember, like, on a previous startup that I was working with Fosco, the CEO, and my other two co-founders, um, it didn't go very well, but we knew that we wanted to work together. And at the same time, we got a couple of friends on, like, occasional conversations who were renting Airbnb apartments, saying how hard it was when they had a guest from Germany. Uh, if it was from uh, Spain or Italy, they kind of, kind of understand the, the message. If it was Germany, they had no clue. And Google Translate did not offer... Uh, help. So this is kind of like what started putting us the idea in our head. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about how Unbabble works, the tech, how the technology works, and how you, you help customers, yeah. giving the example of, of Airbnb? Yeah, so for instance, um, well, let me give you an example of uh, EasyJet. You go to the EasyJet site, you ask a question, uh, and basically, normally the previous solution was people had to hire customer service agents to reply to the questions. Uh, what Embevel does is allow, to, allow you to do this seamless. And basically what we build is this pipeline. So the some text comes in, it first goes to machine translation, which is uh, completely adapted to the particular customer. So we have a machine translation engine per customer. Then there's another fundamental model called quality estimation. It basically is another deep learning module that just tells you is the translation good or not. And if it's good, you can deliver it to the customer. If it's not, it goes to a crowd of uh, bilinguals, uh, freelancers that we have spread around the world that get the translation, correct the errors, and submit. So this allows us to say, we'll give you like a 20-minute SLA after you send the message. And that basically allows you to do multilingual customer service. The other side, which is very cool, is like all the data that actually goes through in Babel is more training data that we have. So we keep improving all the technology around the system. Interesting. And uh, so you have big corporations as your clients. Mm -hmm. um, how hard it is to find the right person inside the cor the corporation to talk with that uh, the person that will be interested in the problem you're solving yeah well that's that's very interesting um, it depends so a lot of times we have personal connections uh, a lot of times our partners can help us get there 
a lot of times you try to contact different people on the corporation to get to the right person. So I guess it depends, but it's one of the difficulties of scaling, especially because the solution we're offering didn't exist in the market before. So there wasn't a solution to do customer service in different languages. So what people normally do is like to just hire people that spoke the language. And this made it much harder because it's hard, it's hard to hire people that speak German, for instance, in the Philippines. And what was the idea when you guys first started the company and how did that change? So it was not that different. So we always started with the idea of like leveraging machine translation uh, to make the translation uh, better. Uh, we did have some ideas of using incremental machine translation, which we kind of abandoned because the technology is there yet. And the other part of the idea was always to connect with the tools that customers use. So customers don't really care about... Uh, translation to just care about communicating with your customers and so from the beginning we knew we had to be integrated with Zendesk, Salesforce, all the tools that people use on a day-to-day basis to make the process transparent. And can you walk us through how the translation market evolved over the past few years? So I see I started my career in 2003 working for a translation company mm -hmm. based in Sao Paulo and So I feel like the industry is heavily dominated by service agencies. Yeah. So how did you break into making people believe that machine learning is the way, it's the be best approach to translation? This is actually a very interesting question. It took us two years to understand. So I don't think the industry changed a lot. It's still very traditional, very project-based. Uh, they do use machine translation, but in a very naive way from my perspective. Uh, and there hasn't been a lot of changes. And the industry is very hard because, you know, LSPs normally is a personal connection with the company, like the localization department. They normally come from, like, professional translation backgrounds, so they don't like uh, a lot of technology. And that was a, a big wall that we had to face in the beginning. And the good thing about customer service is basically it allows us to go went around. So given that there wasn't any solution provided by the translation industry for this particular segment, The localization department was not responsible for this. You normally talk with the customer support uh, director. Uh, and there, the option was to either use a machine translation approach, which the quality is not there yet, or, as I said, to just hire people as a language, or to don't reply in other language at all. So we basically, we don't go, we don't go head to head with the regular translation industry right now. We go around it. Uh, you know, for knowledge bases, we start going more head to head, and we will in the, eventually in the future. But that allows us to grow a lot without having to face that uh, that problem. Can you share with the listeners what is your business model? How does Unbabel, Unbabel mm -hmm. makes money? Yeah. Well, so basically we sell subscription-based uh, products. Uh, we're mostly selling like chat, where basically the subscription involves like a certain number of uh, conversations with your customers or a certain number of emails with your customers or a set of knowledge-based articles. And on the knowledge-based articles, we actually did something that, again, very different from the industry. Normally, what people do is, like, they send you a bunch of articles to translate, you get them back, and then if they update one of them, they have to send it back again. And so what happens is most sites, if you go there, the FAQs are kind of, like, out of sync. There's the English one that's more recent, the Portuguese one is missing some, the French one is out there. And what we said was something slightly different was, okay, you give us an FAQ article, and then you pay a fee per month. And whatever you update something can just press a button because you're fully integrated with the tools that you use and we always keep everything updated. And that was kind of like also disruptive. So we never use the, word, the price per word model that is normal in the industry because 
people don't care. people don't know how many words they have. They know how many emails they have, how many conversations they have. Uh, and one thing that we're trialing is basically actually also removing this and just go per head, which is like how the industry normally works. So you have a customer service agent, you pay X amount of money, and now he can speak 35 languages. And that's it. It's like a super powered uh, agent. And what are the biggest challenges to adoption? I think the biggest challenge is like people don't know the solution exists. So there's a lot of teaching to the market that, you know, you can actually do this. So before, if you wanted, for instance, to outsource a customer service, you can only do it if it was English and you went to the Philippines, India, or Spanish and you went to South America. Right now, you can do it for any language. So even if you're not a multilingual company, let's take the Dutch Telecom, instead of having to hire people in Germany, you can actually just serve German to German out of the Philippines with a level on top. And there's a lot of good things here. It's not just about there's the cost, there's a CSAP that increases, But if you think about, there's a lot of places in India in the Philippines that being a customer service agent is the best profession you can have. And so you're very proud of it. You make a lot of effort. Uh, you don't have people quitting so often. In Germany, on the other hand, nobody really likes it. So the turnaround is huge. You always have to train people. They don't really care. So the quality is worse. So what we saw with a bunch of our customers is actually like the CSAT increased a lot when they delocalize the, the, the service. If you're a smaller company, then you get flexibility. So you don't have to hire people for all the languages. You don't have to address peaks like it's Black Friday, what do I do? You can basically just have like people speaking one language, to them level on top, and voila, the magic is done. How many translators? You said you use the technology yeah. and then it, it, mm -hmm. it gets sent to human translators yeah. around the world. How many people are on your... So on the platform, there's around 100,000 people. They're not all participating actively. It's like a question of supply and demand. Uh, and another difference I'm not sure if I mentioned is like from the get-go, we didn't want to rely only on professional translators because there's very few of them. And so everybody's competing for those translators. So it becomes very expensive, very slow. And the idea was, listen, I'm not a professional translator, but I did my PhDs in English. I can answer email in English. I can translate. So we basically cater for bilinguals. Now, there's a huge vetting process before you can use Unbevel. Like, you're evaluated, and your level of the other language has to be enough to produce quality. On the other hand, we want to provide tools that allow you to give better uh, quality with less linguistic knowledge. So we have in-house a kind of Grammarly for 23 languages that helps you write on the language, uh, and this allows us to scale much more, because now everyone that speaks more than language is a potential Unbeveler. Um, and Babo is a Portuguese startup, mm -hmm. and you guys are based in a few places in the U.S. I guess San Francisco is the second location. Yep. Um, what made you go to Silicon Valley? What attracted you in Silicon Valley? Well, actually, the story is a little bit on the other way around. So we're officially a U.S. company, okay. uh, and we went through Y Combinator. So we started, well, we started in Portugal and went to Y Combinator, and from the beginning, we're there. Most of our early customers, Pinterest, Google, were acquired there. And then we decided to build the company in Portugal. It was something we really wanted to do, but we always kept the presence there. Uh, and so most of our funding actually comes from there. So you never felt like you were an outsider in Silicon Valley just because you went through the very yeah. famous accelerator in the Valley, yeah, that YC? Was, it was never a problem. I mean, having the team here, and I spend a lot of time here, I travel a lot, Fasco spends more time there, has some disadvantages. So the ecosystem in Lisbon is growing a lot but it's still fairly small. So, for instance, if I want to go talk with another CTO to see what was the growing pains, you don't have that many in Portugal. I can talk with Talkdesk, Farfetch, but not that many. Uh, but on the other hand, it's easier to attract very good talent to Portugal than it is in San Francisco. So there's always pros and cons. 
What is your favorite language? Uh, I mean, we're both Portuguese speakers, yeah. but is I there... don't know. I like I like Italian a lot, and I used to know to know how to speak Italian a little bit. I speak mostly Portuguese and English. I'll say Italian. Italian, Italian. nice, very vibrant. Yeah. <laughs> and what is what are some of the most surprising things you've learned by running on Babel? Well, well, a lot of them. So I'm a technologist. I, I was a researcher in my previous life. And, you know, you're so used to solve very difficult technical problems that you don't realize how hard the human problems are. And those are much harder. So I think in Babel has been a lot of, like, uh, you know, growing more on how to manage people. Uh, a lot of the difficulties of a startup you don't know. The phenomenon of, like, growing a team from 50 to 150 people and then suddenly you cannot feel everyone anymore. So now you have an organization and you have to pay attention to that because people start creating silos. You can't tolerate some sort of behaviors. So all of these things that you have to learn in a very short period of time uh, has been very challenging. So we grew one year from 50 to 150. We're now at around 250 with distributed offices. So it's been quite a ride. Do you have any tip for the founders listening that are growing their companies around the world? Do you have one tip around how to make this process a little more easier? Well, I think uh, if I had to pick one thing is like, be very careful with your emotional debt. So between the founders, like the biggest reason why startups fail is because founders just split apart. And then with the rest of the team, like we always from the beginning, were very careful having moments where people are removed from the work environment and spend quality time together. So we used to go surfing every week. We still go with some part or having retreats. Um, and everything about emotion. So emotional depth is what creates silos and all those things. Like people stop to communicate, they break a barrier, and then they start forming their own views and people. And that's just like unnecessary and a huge waste of time. Perfect. Um, what are other areas of tech? Outside, outside, sorry, I'm going to repeat. What other areas of tech are you excited or bullish on? I mean, a lot of them. I think one that I really like and I think is going to see a huge development is the application of machine learning in the health industry. So my wife is a doctor, a surgeon, and sometimes I feel that they still live in the last century. So there's a lot of things that they can do to predict diseases, infections. Uh, I think we're going to see an amazing thing uh, going up in that area. Cool. And how will the future be different if Umbabel becomes widely adopted? I mean, so our vision is to be the translation layer and uh, eliminate language barriers. So, for instance, in Brazil, now you have people in Brazil that can communicate with everyone or shop everyone without needing to speak a different language. And it's in Brazil, there's a lot of people that don't speak English, and that becomes a barrier. And if Unbevel succeeds, it's going to be seamless. So if you think about it, when you go to, like, www.unbevel.com, there's a lot of things that happen in the background that you don't know. It goes to an IP, it goes to a server. So there's the seven layers of the Internet. If Unbevel succeeds, it will be like the eighth layer. So you'll be on your phone, on your device, anything, just thinking, talking, writing on your language. And you don't really care if the person on the other end speaks Chinese. Everything will going to be transparent and seamless. I love That's that feature. <laughs> From a technical standpoint, what makes language translation so hard? So language is a living thing. So it's very ambiguous. So for instance, you have words that mean completely different things, like the word bank can mean four or five different semantic things. Uh, grammar keeps changing. And this is just if we assume that it's like well-written English. Then if you think about the search space, like for each word, what word can you pick on the other language? There's a huge amount of varieties. Um, if you think about what's a good translation, 
you know, you can ask 10 different people to translate a sentence and they can come up with 10 different equally good translations, which makes it much harder for algorithm to learn. So let me give you an example. On image recognition, if you're asked to detect if something is a cat or not, it's an easy problem. It's a yes or no answer. Now, if you ask an algorithm to actually um, draw a cat and then it had to judge if it was a good drawing or not, that would be a much harder problem that people are not working on. That would be closer to the to the translation problem. So it's a hard thing. In, so you want me to ask about a, res, a research? Uh, yeah. Is that a research how lab? We, like how we develop our um, AI technology, for instance. How do you develop internally your artificial intelligence technology? Yeah, so from the beginning, we have a strong focus on research. Uh, mostly me and Vasco both come from academia. And so we always use partnerships with universities uh, to help us develop some of the modules. And pretty soon we start having a research division, which two, with two PhDs besides us, working on the fundamental problems. Because a lot of the problems that we're doing are not solved yet. For instance, machine translation, believe it or not, is still sentence level, the best system in the world. So if you have to choose the pronoun, you don't know exactly how to translate, so it's kind of like random luck. Uh, quality estimation did not exist, so we won three out of the four years of competition for quality estimation, and we're pushing the agenda to use this. So there's a lot of things that still need to be invented for Embevel to succeed on its vision, uh, and for that we've been always investing a lot on our internal team of research, uh, on European and international projects with other universities. Right now I think we have around 20 PhDs from machine learning and linguistics, Uh, most in Lisbon, we have an office in Pittsburgh, in CMU, just for AI, um, because that's a fundamental part of what we need to solve if we want Unbevel to succeed. So I think Unbevel is a true AI company. Obviously, when we started, we just, you know, we used third-party machine translation, and we had the humans on top. We didn't have the manpower to develop everything. But pretty soon, we started developing our own machine translation algorithms, our own quality estimation algorithms, and progressing over time. So what is the percentage of translation that is done via AI versus via human translators, and how did that change over time? That's a very interesting question. So it definitely depends on the content type. So for instance, on chat, if you do a synchronous chat, everything has to be machine translation. So what we actually do is like, after the translation is done, for the sentence that we know there was an error, we actually translate it with humans to retrain the system. Uh, and that works because when you're in a dialogue, you can support errors much better because if you don't understand, you can just ask a question. On email, you can't because if you just put off an hour, the people have to understand the message. Uh, on emails right now, I would say for the best language, is around 10%. And that stands because machine translation is still very far back. Although all the claims that were made recently, uh, it, the models are still very limited. I just gave the example of like it's a sentence-by-sentence -sentence translation. You don't know how to translate well multi-word expressions. So I say, like, for a good language pair, for a good customer, up to 10. It used to be zero, so it keeps increasing. If you go to more longer documents for FAQs, it's zero. You still need a human touch. Now, what also changed is the amount of effort that humans have to do to correct the translation. And we measure that by cost per word, like how much does it cost to a person to correct. And that has increased significantly over time due to technology. Do you believe uh, AI will ever get to a point where you will be able to translate 100% of a document? Well, like, translate professionally? I guess that's the $1 million question that we keep getting asked by our investors. Um, it, again, for certain content types, yes. So I think that emails will be able to solve. It's like a pretty simple content. Uh, if you're talking, for instance, of a marketing blog post, 
I don't think that anytime soon because that also requires copyright. There's a lot of nuances. So I do think that you can exponentially build the number of words you translate and only need like a linear growth of humans in the process. But I don't foresee that they're going to leave anytime soon. How do you develop new products internally? Yeah, so we have uh, what we call Embebel Labs, and this is kind of like a division, which is like a side of Men and Bevel. Uh, and they're basically like looking at the technology that we have and what's coming up and trying to put some new crazy ideas in place that might become a product. So, for instance, they're the ones that started with the chat product. Uh, and back then, it was not just machine translation, it was machine translation, human with QE, which sound kind of like crazy, but in way, it did work out and become our fastest growing product. Uh, they also work on speech transcription and it allows us to launch a product that does speech transcription much faster. Uh, they also have some very cool apps uh, to do simultaneous translation that is still internally. And so their mandate is to, you know, high risk, high reward. Uh, but they can't be together with the mainstream and Babel because it's always, there's always this competition between urgent versus important. Uh, and if you put them on the mainstream, they're just going to get like, oh yeah, yeah, but we really need to solve this problem for this customer. And they'll never have time to work. So I think since year one, we have this like separate team that kind of does this work and just keeps pushing things. Some work, some don't, but that's just the nature of uh, research. Um, you are currently a B2B model business. Do you see a future where you're going to be consumer facing? Uh, so we started by being consumer facing. We failed. And the main reason is, If you're being consumer-facing, you're mostly doing a generic machine translation system. And then you're just competing with Google, Microsoft. Uh, on B2B, we can leverage the knowledge about the customer. Uh, we, do some ha we do have some applications for consumer, like the mobile app. Um, and we will launch it soon. But we need the technology to improve a little bit more. And also, it's easier to grow on the B2B side. So I guess the next couple of years, we're still going to be pretty much B2B and then potentially open it up for the public. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. That was, was awesome. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What's Next. We'll be releasing new interviews from Web Summit every week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Haley Lancaster. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. This episode of What's Next was produced in partnership with podcast.co.